Okay, well, public speaking. Um, who here likes public speaking? You know, getting up in front of people and, and talking to them about something. Who, who likes that? Anyone? Uh, that's what I thought. Maybe here's the better question if I want lots of hands up. Who doesn't like doing that? Who, who doesn't like the idea of standing up in front of people and talking to them? There, there we go. There's a lot of hands in case you're not in the room here. Um, studies have shown that uh, one of the biggest fears in life Death actually comes a close second to public speaking. People hate the idea of getting up in front of people with the knowledge that social embarrassment is possible. And yet, despite the fear of giving speeches, there are a number of speeches that have changed the world. And almost 2,000 years ago, history was changed forever Because something massive happened, and then someone stood up and gave a speech explaining what had happened. And the results changed everything. The event was an important moment, the explanation was an important moment, and the impact of it was world-changing. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been, or since Easter, we've been looking at a couple of the most important moments in history most important moments in the history of our entire world. The past, present, and future rest on what has happened in these moments. And today is no different. Because following today's moment, the world has never been the same. The world hasn't been the same because the message of Jesus Christ and His kingship is being proclaimed to the world. Following this one moment, a global movement started that changed the world forever. Today we'll see the moment and see just how massive it is by rewinding and seeing what leads into that moment. So let me set the scene for you. We have a man named Peter standing up speaking to thousands upon thousands of people. Seems scary, right? And he's preaching to them, pleading with them to radically change their lives. And he finishes, This Jesus, whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. What's going on here? Lots of people give speeches. Why is this one so important? There are even other speeches in the Bible. Why is it this one that we're pointing to as one that changed the world? Well, a good place to start is by considering the audience. Who was listening to this speech? Who's in the crowds? Why were they listening? Why are they there in the first place? Why did God choose these people here to witness and be a part of the world changing. Let's have a look down at the start of Acts 2. We're at the day of Pentecost, and verse 5 there says that there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. To build up our, our picture of what's going on here, Pentecost is an old Jewish festival celebrated 
50 days after Passover. They would celebrate God as the source of rain and fertility, as they thank Him for their harvest. Jews from everywhere would come up to Jerusalem to sacrifice and then return to where they'd come from. Some estimates say that there would have been somewhere between 100,000 and 250,000 people in Jerusalem coming to, to the temple to sacrifice. And they would come from all of these nations to worship in Jerusalem. And now these people, they're devout Jews. They're people who follow the law and they know the promises of God that He has made to them over the past thousand years. They know that there's a promise about a Messiah coming. They know that God will send someone to fix the problem of sin and death, to free them from their chains. And so as, as Peter preaches, their eyes will be fixed on Him. They know that what he's saying is important. They're listening and watching because they've seen something. They've seen something that doesn't make any sense. And what they've seen is the disciples. Let's go back again. The disciples. They've had a rough time. These are the disciples, the followers of Jesus. Three years ago, he called them individually to himself. He called them to drop everything that they were doing, give up their lives and follow him around. And that's what they did. And they kept on seeing Jesus do all these amazing things, heal people, cast out demons, preach. And the crowds following grew and grew. And these 12 followers of Jesus, well, they started to think that there was something happening here. A movement was being started. You know, we're going to start seeing a a revolution against the Romans. A great populist leader, in a sense, Jesus seemed to be. And so, so they followed Jesus down to Jerusalem to make his stand against the leaders, and, and they kill him. This man who was meant to be the king was hung on a tree like a common criminal. How demoralizing would that have been? the man that you'd been following around, that you gave up everything for, killed. Turns out you'd backed the wrong horse. But Jesus, he didn't stay dead. The disciples hadn't backed the wrong horse because two weeks ago at Easter, we saw Jesus burst out of the tomb. Death couldn't hold him. And he appeared, showed himself to, to the disciples. Now, that would be life-changing, wouldn't it? Seeing the man that you were convinced would be king killed and then rise again. And then keep on rising into heaven to take his place on the throne as the king of not just the Jews, but of the whole world. But before he ascends into heaven, Jesus made a promise. He promised that he would send the Holy Spirit, His own Spirit to empower them to preach the gospel. Now, while there are other things that the Spirit would bring, He would especially here give them the confidence and courage to speak in front of thousands 
and tell them about who Jesus is and what he's done for them. The good news of forgiveness is found in Jesus. And in Acts 2, it happens. Look down at verse 2. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Jesus' promise, what he told them to wait for, had just happened. And the people, the thousands of people that we know were in Jerusalem at that time, they suddenly stopped. Because even though they were from many different places that all spoke very different languages, they heard someone speaking in their language. And the person next to them, they heard someone speaking in their language. And the person next to them was hearing in their language, and so on and so on. And in their language, they were hearing the wonders of God being proclaimed. They were hearing about all that God was doing, not in the language of of common Jews that these guys were, but in their own language. Imagine how, how confused you would be, amazed and confused. What's going on? You can see why they, they want an explanation for what's going on. And out of the disciples, one steps forward. Peter. And that's notable because Peter is the last one that you'd be expecting to be stepping forward. And Peter, he was basically Jesus' best mate. If Jesus ever did anything really, Peter came along, even if only a small group were invited. He saw and heard more than almost anyone else. And Peter, he was the first one who who seemed to really understand who Jesus is. As Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter said, well, you're God's king. You're the one that God has promised will come and rule over us forever. It's a real high point of the story. Peter gets it. And yet minutes later, we we know that he showed he didn't understand. When Jesus told his disciples about what would happen to him, that he would be tortured and killed, but after that rise again, When Jesus told them that, Peter said, no, 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 Jesus, you're meant to be the king. What are you doing? What are you saying? Jesus, you're meant to be the king, not someone who just dies. Peter didn't get that the way that Jesus would become the king would actually be through him dying and rising again. Through him dying and then conquering death. Then a bit later, just before Jesus died, Jesus predicted that his, all of his disciples would abandon him. But no, Peter said, no, Jesus, I will go and die with you. And then straight after that, he denies that he even knew Jesus three times. Peter has constantly shown himself to be incapable at getting the job done. He can't follow through. He's not a guy that you can trust to actually go step forward and go, yes, I know Jesus, and here's what you need to know about him. 
He keeps on failing there. there. But here something has changed. Peter stands up and speaks to all the crowds. He's not backing down this time. That's because two things have happened. The first thing is that he has seen something impossible. He has seen somebody rise from the dead. And seeing something impossible like that must change your life. His King Jesus has proven himself to be who he said that he was. And the second is that Peter has been filled with the Holy Spirit. He says that himself as he explains to the people what's happening. And he he points them back to the prophet Joel there in verse 16 onwards. Uh, That's what our first reading was, back from Joel 2. Now, Joel, he, he was a prophet who was speaking to the nation of Israel who'd, been, who'd given up living for God. This is even way further back. They chose to reject his rule, sin against him. And so Joel points to a day in the future, a day coming where God will bring his judgment against the people. They've rebelled against him, they've rejected him, and judgment will come in response. But on this day, God will relent of his anger. The people will repent and God will take pity on them and bless them. It will not just be a time of judgment, but it will be a day of salvation. The world will change in response to what God does. And on this day, his spirit will be poured out. Onto all people, both men and women, Jews and non-Jews, all of God's people. This is a massive difference from how God has poured His Spirit out before. See, God would place His Spirit, He'd breathe His life into certain people. Onto kings, like Saul and David. Onto prophets, who would represent God to the nations and do it with God's presence in them, and God's stamp of authority on them. And we know that this happened too with Jesus. He he was anointed with the Holy Spirit at his baptism to show the people that he was God's king and that God was with him and that he had God's stamp of authority to speak on his behalf. And so on this coming day, this day of judgment And yet of salvation, a new age would begin. An age where God would pour out His Spirit, not just onto the leaders, but onto all of God's people. And this is huge. Because what happens on the day of Pentecost is that this new age is brought in. Where the Spirit lives in all Christians. And so if you're a follower of Jesus today, God's Spirit lives in you. God has marked you as His own by making His home inside of you. He has given you a new heart. He's breathed new life into you by His Spirit. The Spirit is working in you, growing you, transforming you to become more like Jesus. 
our Lord Jesus, the one who the Spirit is constantly pointing to. The Spirit being poured out onto all of God's people changes everything. And this is what happens in Acts 2. Everything changes. History changes at this moment in history because the new age has been brought in. It's the age of the Spirit. It's the age of King Jesus as he ascends to the throne as Savior and Judge. The day of God's judgment has arrived. It's already arrived. We're not waiting for a coming day because it arrived as Jesus hung on the cross, facing the curse of sin, taking the judgment of God that we deserve. Peter declares this to the people. He says this there in verse 22. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you, by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. These are the people that crucified Jesus. The very people who who were there in the crowds yelling, crucify him. And yet it was always God's plan for this to happen. Because it is only through the death of Jesus that the new age can be brought in. It is only through the death of Jesus that forgiveness can be on offer to those who turn to him. And yet we know he didn't stay dead because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. How can death rule over the one who rules over death? In Jesus' death and resurrection, he's become not just the king and lord of the living, but of the dead. And so Peter's key verse to explain what's going on is there in verse 33. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. And has poured out what you now see and hear. This is what has happened. Jesus has ascended to the throne. He's become the king of the whole world. And that's why this is happening. Jesus has risen to the throne in his first order of business is pouring out his spirit. And that is super important because a leader's first act as the person with the authority to do something is generally an indication and symbolic of what their time in office is going to be all about. We know this. We see this all of the time with our politicians. They do something to show what they're going to be on about. And Jesus' first act is pouring out his spirit so that the gospel will go out. Do you get that? The thing that Jesus wants to mark his rule by is the good news of salvation going out to the ends of the earth. Jesus hasn't stopped his work when he rose to the throne. He continues to direct and sustain his mission by his spirit that he gives to his people. The age we live in, the last days, the day of judgment and salvation is according to Jesus, the day 
of evangelism. If we are to live as followers of Jesus, if we are to put Jesus as the king, then our lives must be marked with evangelism. It was what our king was on about and is on about. He wants the gospel, the good news of salvation. The good news that salvation is on offer to those who turn to him. He wants this good news to reach everyone who hasn't heard it yet. Is that your desire too? Is it? Or are you too busy filling your life with things that that we know won't matter in the long run? If the proclaiming of the good news of the gospel is what our king is on about, then that is what we are to be on about too. Join our king in the mission of seeing a world that knows Jesus. You can see why this mission and this moment changed the world. It's the announcement, the declaration that what has happened on the cross, the empty tomb, the ascension, it has succeeded. Jesus has won. He is victorious. And as the victorious king, he is pouring out the trophy of his victory. He has the authority All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And now it's all about his kingship being announced. The new age has begun. The age of Jesus' kingship. Verse 36, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Jesus has been proven to be the Messiah, God's promised chosen king. And God has given him authority as Lord, as master in charge of the whole world. He is the fulfillment of all that has been spoken of in the past by the prophets. And he is the future. The king who will return to right all wrongs, to crush God's enemies under his feet. So this is the key endpoint from Joel. And Peter quotes it there in verse 21. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The name of Jesus is salvation. How can you be saved? How can you find forgiveness for all that you have done? By calling on the name of Jesus. And we know that the story doesn't just end here. The message of the gospel that was spoken to to this crowd on this day. The message that if you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. It's the same message that is spoken to you today. The message that Jesus is the king. He has done it. He has conquered sin. He has conquered death. And so are you going to live with Jesus as your king? Because it leaves us with a choice there. He's the king whether we like it or not. So we can live the the rest of our lives 
as friends of the king or, or as friends of the king as members of his family, members of his kingdom, or as rebels against the king. But the rebellion is lost, it's over already. About 45 years ago, a man named Hiro Onoda was found. He was a Japanese soldier who was hiding from the war. His commanding officer had ordered him to to hide in the mountains of an island in the Philippines. The only problem, of course, is that the year was 1975, and he was hiding, still fighting World War II which had ended 30 years before. The Japanese had lost. Everyone had surrendered. The war was over. And yet, Hiro had been living for 30 years as though nothing had changed, not recognizing that the battle had already been lost. Jesus has already won. He is the king. He is pouring out his spirit as evidence of this and to equip his people to proclaim the good news of the gospel. We can live as enemies and rebels of the king. But not only is it not going to change the outcome because that's already been decided, but we'll be treated as enemies of the king. We'll be crushed under the feet of the king. The judgment day that started at the cross, as Jesus took the punishment for sin for those who turned to him, will be completed and poured out onto those who have not turned to him. That is the reality of Jesus' kingship. He has the authority in in the new age that he has brought in to save and to judge. And so as we, appoint, uh, as we approach our moment in history, let's slow down because this moment matters. As the gospel is proclaimed, the news of Jesus as the king of the world is proclaimed freely for the first time. Let's slow from verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have placed Jesus as the King of the world. And now you come to live in us and be with us by your Spirit. You have never lost control of your world and your mission. Father, help us to see that the good news of Jesus must go out. 
And help us to be the ones who are ready to accept it, believe it, and then take it out to those who haven't yet heard it. Knowing that through it all, our Lord Jesus will never abandon us or forsake us, but will be with us by his Spirit. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.